Hey, I'm here with my friend Mona Stiles. And uh, Mona, how long have you been a part of Providence? Ever since uh, August of last year. And we were talking earlier and you told me that uh, you could really relate to Ruth. Um, and can you tell us why? Yes, uh, 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 about the brokenness and, and, and losing everything. On July 17, 1985, I was in a tragic um, trailer fire and uh, it happened at night and while we were sleeping and the fire took all three of my kids and I felt broken and lost and, you know, like uh, I lost everything, you know. That must have been devastating. Yeah. And, and so you shared with me earlier that there was a, a scripture that was really dear to you. Yes. Can you it, share that with us? Yes. Uh, it's uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, uh, God shall not uh, put anything upon us that we cannot endure. I believe that God has a reason for everything. And I just held on to that verse and it gave me strength and it helped me recuperate, you know, from my loss. And, and we have been talking about stories of brokenness and how, how Jesus makes us whole again. So could you tell us since that tragic day, uh, how has God restored your life? Well, I was able to have uh, more children, healthy, made me proud. I'm proud of them. Um, they, they're followers of, of God, and, and uh, I've married a terrific man, uh, Britt Stiles, and he and I have found uh, strength in each other, and uh, we try to build each other up and you know spread God's word, testimony, whenever we can to whoever we can, and uh, it's just a wonderful feeling to be serving the Lord and to kind of uh, give back a little of what he gave to us, second chance. So going forward? Yes. What are you looking forward to? <laughs> well, me and my husband have tried to open our house to several people who try to illustrate God's love and uh, show them what God has done for us and the blessings that come from serving the Lord from your heart, you know, not because, well, if I do this, God's going to give me this, you know. We do it because it's the right thing, and it makes us feel good giving from our heart, you know. And uh, it's just a wonderful feeling. That's awesome. And we really appreciate you sharing your story with our community and look forward to how God is going to continue to work through your life. I am too. <laughs> Thank you. Y'all remember what happens? In those five verses, husband goes, two sons go. Now they had gotten married, and now Naomi, who felt empty, at least had her daughters-in-law. And Ruth, it's a story of renewal, picks up this story where she tries to wrestle with that question, what do I do now? Because I'm afraid, just like Naomi, she will never know why did this happen. 
And I want to insert a little asterisk here before we get back into this story. The narrator, whoever wrote Ruth, and we don't know, in those five verses, never lays the blame at brokenness that they caused, but it seems to be the collateral damage of the brokenness of the world that brings a famine, that brings death to our doors. And I think it's important to note there that even though we'll never fully understand why, we should always come to a place that when we hold these broken pieces, when we hold our questions before the Lord, would we be able to lean more into Him and more into each other? That's what Naomi does with her two daughters-in-laws that are left to pick up the pieces, to take them to their father and wrestle with, what do we do now? So, before we dive back into the story, I think it's important to say that we're going to see a woman wrestling with faith, wrestling with God, wrestling with these questions. And we see Naomi tonight put herself in the company of people like Job, who, like Mona, have lost so much. And they say, God, what's going on? What do I do? She puts herself in the company with Jeremiah saying, hello, God, we're going into exile. You promised us land and life and blessings, and I know we kind of screwed it up, but dude, this sucks. <laughs> then he writes a book called Lamentations because it does happen, and he says, God, where are you? What do we do now? Naomi puts herself in the place of David. We read Psalm 4, a lament psalm. David, her great, 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 great grandson, who has so many psalms, so many songs, so many prayers, crying out and say, God, where are you? What do I do? What do I do? And sometimes the storms pass through our life. Sometimes the tragedies come, like Mona, like we saw the day after Christmas in the, the rubble of the tornadoes that plowed through our community. And sometimes you're not going to know why the tornado went through this house and not that house. But the more important question is, okay, now what do we do? Well, the first stab at an answer we look at tonight is hopefully we lean more into God and we lean more into each other. Because Job, Jeremiah, David, and Naomi are these people who experience deep suffering, who lean into God, even if it's messy, okay? The kind of leaning in that we're going to talk about tonight is the kind of leaning in which they lean into Abba's chest, and they pull away, and there's like mascara down his shirt, yes? If God wore a shirt, the kind of leaning we are talking about is like the snot and mascara residue, okay? Brace yourself. But the beautiful thing is even when they honestly scream and hash it out with God and lean into him, they find on the other side an experience of a deeper trust in him. Because God's love is rock solid and he's always at work even if all of our circumstances tell us the opposite might be true. And we see Naomi wrestle with that. Briefly, here are some of the Ways that God is at work in Ruth. Let's just burn through these in case you missed last week. Ruth is a story of how God works in and through ordinary people in ordinary life. There are no priests, there are no prophets, there are no incredible divine encounters. So when we enter in into this story of brokenness, it's a kind of story that says what? What happens when the Red Cross doesn't show up? What happens when an angel of the Lord doesn't appear? 
What happens when the solution to our problem doesn't happen when we want it to? And we see God at work in ordinary people, in ordinary life, and we see just peaks of how he works in subtle and hidden ways. This is what Ruth is about. We're going to see each and every week. And then thirdly, we see that God works in the broken places. We should never lose sight of this. Even in the broken places, he's ever active, ever loving, and ever pushing toward a world in which all things are made new. Say all things. All things. The brokenness you brought, the brokenness that has been brought, all things will be made new. He's not going to ball up the world and throw it in the garbage heap. He's going to renew the broken world. He's going to renew our bodies. This is the hope of the Christian faith. Yes? God is always at work bending And the bending is important because the themes we'll see each week in Ruth, and they really come to the fore tonight, is this theme of providence. That God is at work in all areas of creation. Now, the tricky thing is how does he work? How does he do this? Did he exhaustively plan every minute detail? Was it for his glory that Elimelech died? That Naomi's two boys died? Is it for God's glory that we have sicknesses, addictions, brokenness? Did God plan these things? Did he originate these things? And how is he at work then when they do happen? Some of these questions are unanswerable, but again, you go and look at who God is. And tonight we're going to see a lot of God, a lot of the blame falling at Yahweh's feet. And we wrestle and we say, God, where are you at work in all of these broken places? Hopefully we'll explore a little bit peaks that we get through Ruth. Tonight we'll see this theme of togetherness. Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz are transformed through their relationships. The newness that God is going to work would not happen if Ruth doesn't take a risk and go with Naomi tonight. And they make each other better. And how do they do that? Well, the third theme we'll see each week and we'll see tonight especially is faithfulness. Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz are all examples of incredible faithfulness. Y'all remember that word we learned last week? Amy said it was super gross when I said it, but I'm going to say it again. Chesed. That was for you, baby. Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) That word faithfulness, all wrapped up in it, is loyalty, love, goodness, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz are all examples of incredible faithfulness to God and others, even in the most difficult circumstances. You with me? Okay. That's the last time I'm going to roll through those points, okay? Because we've got a story to get to. It's a story of renewal, and we've just set the scene, and we say, what are we going to do? What is Naomi going to do? We see her bless these daughter-in-laws. Then we're going to see her push them out the door. Then we're going to see Ruth put her foot in the door jam and say, no, I'm not going anywhere. And then we're going to see Naomi's interpretation or perspective of this difficult, broken time in her life. You with me? Are you turned to Ruth chapter 1? I didn't ask you to, but maybe if you're a go-getter, I see a few go-getters. Would you take a moment and turn to Ruth chapter 1? I'm going to read the whole story, the scene, the act, the first act of this drama tonight. And then we're going to circle back around and talk a little bit about it, okay? Let's read Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. 
When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living, and she set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Matter of fact, let's just pause here. I'm not going to read the whole thing for time's sake. We'll get there in due time. So what's happened thus far? They've set out on the road. You with me? They've set out on the road. Why? Because what? You can actually say something. It's okay. Why did they go? Why does Naomi think it's better to go? They have food now. This is one of the great problems that Naomi was facing. If she stays in Moab, she's probably going to starve to death. Because Naomi has four options at this point. She can have kids because that cements her womanness, which is, a, is, a, is something that was so central in that culture. And, if, and uh, um, unfortunately, it still persists in this culture. And frankly, I just that's not the truth. You know, that, that, that kids make you all you need to be. And so the other option then is to get married. Because in that culture, she couldn't go work at McDonald's, so she needs a man to protect her, to provide for her. And unfortunately, that idea has persisted in this culture. And some of us feel like the very best way to be fulfilled and to be a godly woman is to, if you can't have kids, at least get married. And I think that's an unfortunate thing as well, but it's the reality in this culture. She only has four options. Those are two. Have kids, get remarried, or then she can go to her parents' house, okay? Because if you can't get kids, you can't get a husband, maybe not in that order, um, you can go to your parents' house. You can go move back in with mom and dad, but here's the deal. How old is Naomi? We don't know, but we know she's pretty old. Because it says as much that she was advanced. We see this throughout the story. So that's not an option for her either. Or she could stay in Moab, far from the ties that she had in Bethlehem, which was under a famine when she moved 10 years ago. But now we see what the Lord has provided. Now, I just got done telling you that the Lord works in subtle and hidden ways, okay? Guess what? This is not so subtle. The Lord, what? Provided food for them. This is one of two, you with me? One of two direct references to God directly working in this book. If you're taking notes, there's one right here in verse 1-6, and there's one at the end of this book in verse uh, 13 of chapter 4. Two references to God directly inserting himself into this story of renewal. But he is always at work. But here, we're grateful that they're laying this at the feet of the Lord, saying he's come to the aid of his people. Now, there's grace here. There's a lot of grace here. Yes, they've gotten rain. They've gotten food. But listen to this. What a grace that Naomi heard the news all the way back from her homeland in Bethlehem. This probably alerts us to how big of a deal this was. This would have been headline news that the famine over God's people, guess what? It's ended. And news traveled all the way back to Naomi. See, that's a hidden work. Do you understand how many variables are at play? There is, it's a gift that she heard this. So we see God's hand moving her toward Bethlehem, her home. 
So she goes with all she has left, Orpah and Ruth. I want to say Oprah every time. Do you see Oprah? It's Orpah, okay? I'm going to forgive me because watch out. I'm probably going to say Oprah. I've like almost written it like three times in my notes and scratched it out. So she goes with Orpah and Ruth back to this place because she heard that God is on the move and she's going to go back home because really what other option does she have? You with me? Look at verse 8. Here's Naomi's blessing. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Now, you can imagine there are pretty good ways out of town. They're ready to go. She probably gets far enough away to where she can't be persuaded by all her friends that she had back in Moab. So she takes her two daughters-in-law and she says this, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. Orpah and Ruth are widows without children too. They have the same options Naomi does. And here's what Naomi's thinking. They're young. They may, able to, they may be able to get married. They may be able to have kids. They may be able to make it. Because guess what? That's also their home country. So Naomi, out of kindness, not out of gripeness, is going to release them in love. I thought that Ruth was more like the movie Up. Do y'all remember that movie Up with the balloons through the house? I for so long thought that Naomi was the old guy with the tennis ball cane. And he was grumbling. (laughs) Ben got it. You remember now? And he's grumbling and life has robbed him of his true love. And he doesn't have any kids. He's a widower with no kids. And this week, I went back and I looked at that montage. Do you all remember the montage at the beginning? Yes, because you cried, didn't you? I'm man enough to admit that I cried when I watched it again. And that's why I'm not playing this. But I'm also not playing it because it's not like up where this old guy Carl gets an unwelcome visitor that's all full of spunk and life, Russell. You all remember Russell, the like Boy Scout guy that shows up? I thought for so long that Ruth was a story of up, where this old guy who life has beaten him down, he's bitter, he's grumbling, but then he gets a trusty sidekick and everything's great and good to go. No, Naomi is not... Grumbling, she's pained, she's hurt. We're going to see that come more to the surface. But she is deeply in love with these women. She loves them not only because they're all she has, but she loves them because she's seen the strength of both of these women's character. How do we know this? Look at what she says to them to bless them, to release them, okay? This ain't no Carl and up, okay? She says, may the Lord, may Yahweh, the name of my God, of my people, show you chesed, show you faithfulness, goodness, loyalty, all of these good things. May the Lord show you what he loves to show you. Every at the core of his being, the God who is love is a God who is faithful and loyal and always wanting to do what's best for you. May the Lord show you all of this. As you have shown chesed to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord, Yahweh, my God of my people, grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. She says, would my God of my people 
show you what you foreigners, women at the bottom of the totem pole have reflected to my dead family and to me. This is powerful. She's invoking her name of her God to these people who are outside, to people who aren't just outside, but who are like totally, totally far on the outs, these Moabites with God's people, Israel. But she blesses them. It's a formal release. It's a blessing. It's rooted in love. Then she kisses them goodbye, and they wept aloud. They're far enough outside the city, it's probably dead silent. There's probably mountains coming up, and you see a valley down that's headed toward the Dead Sea, and it's silent. And Naomi stops in her tracks. She blesses these two women because she loves them, and she knows that the only chance they have is to turn around and go back, and the silence is broken by bitter weeping. It's probably as if all the 10 years of pain and sleepless nights where they have to go to bed now alone just overwhelms them. And on the road, they're weeping bitterly. So these women, they say, we're going to go back with you to your people. We've already made up our minds. We're going. So what does Naomi do? She urges them now. She ratchets it up. She says, okay, plan B, and watch. She had a nice religious blessing. Now she's going to go to, all right, dude, the big guns are coming out. You want me to tell you how I really feel? It's one of those moments, yes? Here's how I really feel. Naomi says, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? You're my daughters-in-law now. You want some more sons? You can be my daughters-in-law in like 18 years, 15 years, maybe. I don't know. No. She says, would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. And she says this. It is more bitter for me than for you. Pain has a way of making us honest. I think pain has a way of making us brutally honest. Because you know what? You're already hurt. So what does it matter? You feel like life has dealt you a crummy hand. And then you remember that, oh yeah, because this world is kind of a lot of crummy hands. And pain has a way of making you honest. She wants to just get right down to brass tacks and says, look, it's a lot worse for me than for you. I'm doing this for your own good. And if pain has a way of making us honest, pain also has a way of distorting our perspective. Because when it's dark, you can't see light. Darkness is the absence of light. And when you're walking through the tunnel, and the end of it and the light is a long way away, your vision is not as clear, is it? Pain has a way of distorting our perspective. So she says this, I'm bitter, why? Because the Lord's hand has turned against me. For Naomi, there is no luck. For Naomi, there is no other gods. For Naomi, there is no karma. For Naomi, there is Yahweh, creator of heaven and earth. He is one God. 
And so if there are forces at work in this world, good, bad, or indifferent, Yahweh is behind it. And wouldn't you think, after 10 years of being beaten down, when the storm plows through your house, the fire takes all you have, wouldn't you think it's at least reasonable to think, not only that you've been dealt a crummy hand, but this God who I heard has a plan really has it out for me. I thought Naomi was this grumbling old curmudgeon, and I think Naomi is the realest person we've seen in Scripture in a long time because she's still trusting that Yahweh is up to something and at work. She doesn't know why this has happened, but she's saying, God, couldn't you have done something about it? And she's convinced that the Lord has turned his hand against her. She's real. She's honest. And at this, they wept aloud again. This is the second time that silence has broken on the road, and then something now shifts. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. Now, for a long time, I thought that if Naomi was Carl and grumpy, I thought Orpah, like many others in the Jewish and Christian circles, thought that Orpah was some kind of weenie to just back out. Her name, some say, like means the neck, the nape of the neck. So they say, oh yeah, Orpah, because she turned her back, she turned her neck to Naomi and went home. But something that's been great in conversations with Kathy and Robin, reading more about this story, here's the thing about Orpah. She did what was sensible. She did what was blessed, right? Naomi who they'd looked up to and had cared for and had cared for them, says, hey, go. And Orpah says, I love you, but you're right. And sometimes caution is faithfulness. Think about this. They don't know the rest of the story. If you're Orpah, what are you thinking? You know what? This woman is right. And if she's right about the Lord turning his hand against her, I ain't going to hang with her. Because my mom said that you are who you hang out with. And dude, it's looking bad. And she weeps, but she goes because sometimes caution is the most faithful thing to do. And you know what? She doesn't know how the story's going, and we don't know how the story goes for Orpah. Man, what if she went home and Yahweh did bless her and find her rest like Naomi prayed and blessed? We don't know. So I don't think Orpah should get a bad rap. But I think that Orpah sets in motion this incredible resolve and this incredible strength of this woman, Ruth, who has so far been just kind of behind the scenes. And she steps, man, front stage, and she shows us some of the most powerful, beautiful words of Scripture that I've ever seen and that we would ever seen. And so you see Orpah turn. Well, what does Ruth do? Ruth clung to her. Sometimes I think if caution is faithfulness, sometimes there are moments when you've got to cling with all you've got to whatever you've got. And all Ruth had, all she knew in that moment was Naomi was it. And you know what? Naomi said that you've been faithful. Well, here's the faithfulness we're talking about. She ain't going anywhere. And look what Ruth says. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you. Or to turn back from you. I imagine on the road that Ruth backed up. She wiped away the tears in her eyes. She looked her square in the face. And she knew what she was doing when she says, Where you go, I will go. 
And where you stay, I will stay. And then she says these words, Your people, my people. And your God, my God. How many people of God's people did Ruth know? Probably a few, and a few of them are dead. So let's just say Naomi. What does she know about Naomi's God, Yahweh? Naomi just said, his hand's turned against me, and he's probably behind all this. Hello, is this not a strong woman? Is this not faithfulness? Your people, my people. Your God, my God. She had another God. She had seen him. She'd seen him at work in her people, but she likes her chances with Naomi and her God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Till death do his part in sickness and in health, your people, my God, where you die in your plot of land with your family, I will not go back and be buried with my parents, although that's the honorable and respectable and cautious thing to do. Hey, I'm locking the door, I'm bolting it, I'm going with you, and I'm going to the end. And then, in case Naomi wasn't believing her, she puts up her hand in the sky and she pledges this. May the Lord, your God, the God that I'm turning toward, may he, Yahweh, deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. If Naomi's like Job and she's lost it all, a lot of people say that Ruth is like Abraham. Because he introduces and finds this God, right? And Abraham goes to a land that he doesn't know anything about. You know why Ruth is pretty bad to the bone? She had no divine intervention. No angel of the Lord come to her at night. No whisper in the still small voice and say, do it. This woman set her face to Bethlehem and said, I have no prospect of a life there. But I'm going to hitch my wagon to Yahweh. And this woman who is kind of having it out with him, but I like my chances with she and her God. Are you kidding me? I don't don't want to go to some restaurant I don't know if the food is any good, much less go to a town called Bethlehem with this God. This is incredible. Yes, I'm preaching a long time again tonight, but I don't want to miss how incredible this is. Because Ruth models this pledge for us all to forsake our home, our family, our comfort, our prospects of a nice, healthy life with kids and a fence and a house and two SUVs and pretend that everything's peachy and we can go live the American dream. Hello, we're called to take up our cross, to die before we get up and follow Jesus. Ruth, before she ever hears a whisper of Yeshua, whoever the Messiah is, whoever Jesus is for that matter, she models for us the call on all of our lives to shut the door, to bolt it, and say, Jesus, I'm hitching my whole wagon to you. This week I talked to a couple um, about how our life with Christ is more like a marriage than it is um, something that we just mentally believe. It's something that has to be worked out through thick and thin, and it's hard. But at some point, we've got to say, Jesus, I do. Jesus, I do. I'm yours. And Ruth models that. She had no call. She had no prayer. She still goes. 
And here's what's powerful. Naomi initiated the move because she heard a whisper that God had given food to them. But there would be no renewal in this story if what? Ruth doesn't cling to her. It's incredible. Ruth is so powerful. I told you last week this is Naomi's story. But I think this is why Ruth got the name of the book. Because she is so strong. So powerful. So let's not blame Orpah. But let's model Ruth. To be faithful to press in. Now. Naomi, she's going to give us an interpretation, and this is what we're going to spend our last few moments on. Because before the newness, all we see is brokenness. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. This was no easy task. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Are you serious? Has it been what? It's been 10 years? Imagine I went to our 10-year high school reunion a year ago or so, and um, we, you know, you, you kind of experience what many of you guys have experienced at 10, 20 years or whenever, and you kind of say like, oh, I'm doing this now. I got some kids. You want to see? Oh, yeah, we're doing this. And you kind of realize that, you know, you look a little bit different. Well, this 10 years for Naomi, this wasn't like a 10-year reunion in high school. She had been beaten down. And so part of what they're saying is, can this really be Naomi? Maybe because she looks different. Maybe because they've seen that life or whatever has kicked it out of her. Can this really be Naomi? And so Naomi stops them because they're all so, so surprised to see her. And she says, don't call me Naomi. Now, Naomi's name means pleasant or lovely, okay? Don't call me lovely, she told them. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Why? This is her response, her perspective of all that's happened. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Job, if you're writing notes, write down Job 27.2. Write down 27.2 and write down 23.1-7. Okay? I know we're going late. But I want to, you to read those. I'm not going to read them now. Because she puts herself with Job and says, The Lord has made things very bitter for me. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. And they're going to lodge a complaint and lay it at the feet of Yahweh. Yes, they pick up the broken pieces. Yes, they take them to Yahweh. But they're taking it to him and say, I think you broke it. And before we talk about did he or not, Listen to the rest of her complaint against him. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. She says, El Shaddai has made my life bitter. He's brought me back empty. He's afflicted me. He's brought misfortune upon me. This is her perspective, and she's speaking from pain. She's speaking honestly, and she's speaking without knowing why this happened. But for Naomi, why else could it happen? Carolyn Kustis James, who wrote an incredible book that's been really influential for us this series already, it's called The Gospel of Ruth. She says this about faith when she thinks about Naomi. She says this. Let's go to the next one. Or do we not have it? Yeah. Faith may want answers, but somehow is able to survive without them. 
I don't think Naomi ever knows why. And she's blaming God. But before we get to all of that, it's okay not to know why. It's okay to be honest with God. He can take it. We have a whole book of Psalms, a whole book of Job. We have this woman, Naomi, to say, guess what? God can take it. But what we do is magic thinking. I'm good. Everything's great. God has a plan. Everything's all right. Everything works together for His good. Yes, everything works together for good. But it's okay to feel the sting of the brokenness now. It's okay to say it's not okay. And you need to say it's not okay so you can lean in not only to God and be honest, but you can lean into others who can lean into you. And they won't be able to fix it, but they can cry with you. People in this church cry with you. People in this church put their shoulder underneath your arm and try to walk with you. And I hope people in this church say, you know what? Let's call a spade a spade and say, this is broken. This stinks. Brene Brown, who's a researcher and speaker, she described her return to faith. And she said this, I thought faith would say, I'll take away the pain and discomfort. How many of us have thought that? God will give me the magic bullet, amen? He will make me healthy, wealthy, and wise in three simple steps. Let's go to church and call it a day. She said, but what faith ended up saying was, I'll sit with you in it. Naomi doesn't mention Ruth, but Ruth was there sitting with her in it. But for her, all, her, all she knows now is that I'm bitter. But the deal is this. Naomi never loses faith in God. I believe this. She only loses sight of what God can do. She loses sight of who God is. And the thing is this. What God can do is fill her and He will. Comfort her and He will. Bring newness out of her brokenness and He will. She loses sight, not faith. She loses sight of what He can do. She also loses sight of who He is. And I'll tell you this. Here's where I stand. And maybe we've heard differently at times. Maybe I've said differently at times. But as best as I know and as best as I know, I believe in the God whom Jesus revealed. And I believe that God is not pleased with cancer. I believe that God is not pleased with death. I believe that it is not His original plan for death in this world. You know why? Because the last enemy is death. And Christ is going to deal with it. You know what Christ did for three years? Heal as much as he could. Rebuke demons as much as he could. To cast out the kingdom of darkness as much as he could. I think scripture, the witness of scripture, is this. That God, if you trace the thread of all the brokenness in the world, if you trace it back to the origins, it doesn't begin in the heart and hands of God. It begins in this broken world that God risked and created. And brokenness swept in. And I think since then, there's been a dam of sin and death and brokenness. And God has put up the dam. And he is actively fighting against it. He's working against it. But sometimes, hear me, sometimes he allows some of it to spill over. But allowing and causing are very different things. And I want to be very clear about this church because this has been an open wound that we've been dealing with in a kind of transition in the last few years of our church. 
I'm grateful for Pastor Mark who is starting that journey with us. And we will not have all the answers. Naomi will go to her grave without all the answers to why. Job, when God approaches him in the whirlwind, never tells, God never tells Job, guess what? The devil did it all. But I allowed it. Job doesn't know that. But Naomi, Job, and God help us, could we lean into him and still trust him through it? Knowing that he is good and every good and perfect gift comes down from God, the Father of lights, is what James says. But then guess what? A few verses later, James says, consider it joy when suffering comes upon you. Wait, what? Because God can even use the brokenness, use the suffering, and produce endurance and faithfulness and joy. And when he renews us in exactly the place where no newness was thought possible, we can say, God, thank you, because even the sin and death of this world won't get the last word. You can. So you think about Joseph in Genesis 50-20. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Did God cause that evil? No. They meant it for evil. But God says, here's what I'll do with the broken pieces. I will work and bend my will as opposed to all the wills against us. And I will bring good from it. Still don't believe me? Look at the cross. It's as if Jesus came, the word become flesh, the solid rock of our faith, and he hung on a cross, bloodied and broken, for every time someone comes to you in your dark places and says, I know how you feel, and you say, no, you don't. Look to Jesus, and God says, I know how you feel. He was there with us. And it shows the world, where can God be in the valley of the shadow? Where can God be in the broken, dark places? Where can God be in all the sin? Is he causing it? No, but the cross shows us that he can even be there in that moment with us. And he's going to do something about it. Paul, for another example, I think it's important to look at this too. I'm sorry, y'all, I'm going late, but I'm not preaching next week, so this is what it is. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Now, we don't know what the thorn in my flesh is. He'll say it's something, but let's just say a thorn in the flesh is sickness, or it's an emotional or mental affliction. It is something that is not great, okay? Because he says it's a messenger of Satan to torment me. So three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times he's praying. So many of us have prayed and prayed and prayed. And God has brought so much newness. But sometimes he doesn't. What can we learn? God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. He may not know why he's got it, but to answer the question, what do I do now? Paul says, I'm leaning in. I'm leaning in so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He leaned so far into Jesus that he got to a place that says this. 
I can come to him like Naomi, like all Job, like all these people, because I come to see that God is better than what God can give. And if we are pleading, how would we pray for Naomi? God, please help her. Give her food. Give her a family. Give her protection. Give her provision. How do we plead for all these people with thorns in our flesh? God, please remove it. Please remove it. Please remove it. And we need to keep praying that because we don't know why this has come. Sometimes it may be discipline. Not all the time, probably not most of the time. You can look at Hebrews 12. Most of the time, we are just casualties of a broken world that God is trying to make new. And when he doesn't heal us, will he be better than the healing he gives? Now, let's go back to Naomi, rather Mara, bitter, bringing it all to the feet of God. I believe that she will not give up on God because he doesn't give up on her. He doesn't punish her for blaming him. He doesn't punish her for wrestling with him. Rather, he sets in motion more and more newness. And we see her transform along the way, even though her husband, her kids, won't come back. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. Arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Our chapter began with famine and people leaving. And it ends with harvest and homecoming. It's as if whoever's writing this story is winking at us saying, Hey, what a coincidence. They don't know the end of the story. We know the end of the story. Will we lean into Him, look to the cross, beg for God to remove the thorns, to remove the brokenness, and if He doesn't, would we lean into His chest, even if we're screaming and beating on it, and come out the other side, maybe not with everything perfectly the way it was, but at least the broken pieces in His hands can be made new, And we can find a deeper trust, a deeper faith, because that is the story of Naomi. That's the story of Ruth, who turned and clung to her, who clings to God, and finds that she is the key to that renewal, even when all the circumstances seem otherwise. Would we be a people who lean in, even in the darkest times? Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your presence in us, among us, with us. Thank you for your kingdom. Lord, the world we see looks less and less like it some days. So we ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth, in our homes, in our hearts, as you would want it to be. So Lord... Be near to those who are suffering. Lead them through it and give them strength. We want to ask that you would remove the thorns. And if you're not in this moment, would we still press into you and say, okay, God, what are you forming? What are you up to? Lord, may we not be searching for answers, but may we search more and more for you. And may we do so together because I'm so grateful Ruth went with Naomi and I'm so grateful you've given us a family a community on mission together 
to lift one another up and walk and follow Jesus together. So please form us more and more in your spirit and your love. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You are the God who makes all things new. We gladly raise our voices and move our lips to acknowledge, celebrate, and proclaim your staggering newness. As we do so, we hold in our hearts deep awareness of all the places where your newness is not visible and has not yet come. Our hearts link to many places of wretchedness, short of your newness. We picture our folks at home, sick and pain, disabled, paralyzed, and no newness yet. We know up close the deep wretchedness of poverty, of homelessness, of hunger, and no newness yet. Move our hearts closer to the passion of our lips. Move our lips closer to your own newness. Work your newness in hidden, cunning ways among us. Move us closer to your body newness in Jesus. Newness of strength come, to, come in weakness. Newness of wisdom come in foolishness. Draw us from the wretchedness we know to a scarred, bloody wretchedness that is your odd entry of newness into our lives. We pray in the name of his suffering newness. Amen. Go in peace.